0: Welcome. This is Barry Baines from Baines Law, a legal miscellany where we regularly podcast about cases and legal issues, as well as talking to professionals and others who have experience of our legal system. Early one autumn afternoon in 1975, 11-year-old Leslie Moleseed, a frail and rather small 11-year-old child, with a congenital heart condition, buttoned up her blue raincoat, picked up her blue canvas bag and one pound in cash and went off to the local shop in Rochdale to buy bread and an air freshener for her mother. When Leslie didn't return home, mother sent her brother and two sisters to look for her. Her stepfather also joined in the search. By three o'clock, Leslie still hadn't been seen, and it was established that she had never arrived at the shop. The police were called. Three days later, a driver who had stopped on a lay by near Rishworth Moor discovered Leslie's body lying face down in tall grass nine metres above the carriageway. She had been stabbed 12 times in the upper shoulder and back, and one wound had penetrated her heart. The money was missing and from the staining on her clothes, it was clear that she had been sexually assaulted. A huge police investigation followed and statements were taken from girls who said a man had exposed himself to them during the weeks before Leslie was killed. Two of them identified Stefan Kishko as the man who had exposed himself. Stefan was 23 years old. He had never been in trouble with the law. He worked as a local tax clerk and lived with his mother and aunt. Beyond that, he had no social life. His mental and emotional age was 12. He had the habit of taking down car numbers that annoyed him. In December, Stefan was arrested and questioned about the murder. He was not asked if he wished to have a solicitor present. He asked for his mother, but this was refused. Neither did the police caution him until they had made up their minds that this is who they had been seeking. After three days of questioning, Stefan admitted killing Leslie. He was later to say that he thought he would be allowed to go home if he did so. He was charged on Christmas Eve. Later, when permitted a solicitor, Stefan retracted his confession. At trial, Stefan pleaded guilty to manslaughter on the grounds of diminished responsibility, it being asserted on his behalf that testosterone he was receiving for hypogonadism may have made him behave unusually. By a majority of 10 to 2, a jury at Leeds Crown Court found him guilty of Leslie's murder. He received the only sentence that was open to the trial judge, Mr Justice Park, and that was life imprisonment. Although he appealed, the Court of Appeal could find no grounds whatsoever to condemn the jury's verdict of murder as in any way unsafe or unsatisfactory. Once in prison, Stefan was subjected to the sort of attacks that are frequently made upon child molesters and child killers. Five prisoners attacked him soon after his arrival in Wakefield Prison. His property was destroyed and injuries received to his face and legs. Sometime later, he needed stitches to the head when he was assaulted with a mop handle. Other attacks led to him receiving facial injuries. There was no sympathy for him from prison officers or inmates. He was despised for the crime for which he had been convicted. From late 1979, and after he had received a letter from the Inland Revenue to say he had been sacked, Stefan developed signs of schizophrenia and suffered delusions. Throughout the 1980s, he continued to claim that he was innocent, but those claims were merely labeled as symptoms of his schizophrenic delusions of innocence. By 1983, Stefan was told that in order to be considered for parole, he would be required to admit his guilt. If he persisted in maintaining his innocence, he would stay in prison for the rest of his life. It made no difference. Just over a year later, whilst still maintaining his innocence, he was moved to Bristol. By then, his mental state was deteriorating rapidly, and a forensic psychiatrist recommended his transfer to a high-security psychiatric hospital but this recommendation was not actioned. Six months later, he was returned to Wakefield prison. In the late eighties, Stefan was transferred to Grendon Underwood prison where the prison governor tried to persuade him to enroll on a sex offenders treatment program. But it required an admission of guilt so that his motivational behaviors could be explored. So Stefan refused to take part maintaining that he had done nothing that needed addressing. He was categorised as making no progress and returned to Wakefield. In February 1990, the Home Office indicated that Stefan's first parole hearing would take place in December 1992. By then, he would have served 17 years in prison. But he would only be released if he admitted to having murdered Leslie and if he could convince the parole board that he was no longer a danger to children or to the public. There was though one person who steadfastly clung to the belief in Stefan's innocence, and that was his mother. She contacted Justice and by 1987 had been put in touch with a solicitor called Campbell Malone. Malone contacted junior counsel who had been part of Stefan's defence team at trial. Over a period of two years, They compiled evidence and presented a petition to the Home Secretary. By February 1991, the Home Office agreed to reopen the case and referred the case back to West Yorkshire Police, where newly assigned Detective Superintendent Wilkinson discovered errors. For the first time, it was demonstrated conclusively that Stefan had male hypogonadism, which rendered him infertile and contradicted forensic scientific evidence obtained at the time. Witnesses were discovered who could give alibi evidence. The girls who had given evidence of Stefan exposing himself were re-interviewed and admitted that they had lied for a laugh. One said it was a different man. By late summer, 1991, the new findings were referred to the Home Secretary and passed to the Court of Appeal. By Christmas, Stefan had been moved to Prestwich Hospital. In February 1992, Lord Lane Chief Justice and other judges heard Stephen Sedley QC argue that it was unlikely that a guilty verdict could have been returned if the new medical evidence had been before the jury at trial. The appeal was allowed, and although Stefan's immediate release was ordered, he needed further psychiatric treatment for a month, before he was finally released in mid-March. The 16 years of imprisonment had taken its toll on Stefan's health. He suffered serious mental and emotional harm, as a result of which he became a recluse and showed little interest in life. Stefan was told he would receive £500,000 in compensation. He said he hoped to travel to Australia and America, but physically he was in bad shape too. In October 1993, Stefan was diagnosed with angina and after suffering a heart attack at his home, he died on 23rd of December. He was 41 years old. Four months later, his 70-year-old mother Charlotte followed him to the grave. No compensation was ever received. It wasn't until the end of 2006 that 53-year-old Ronald Castry was arrested and charged with Leslie's murder. He already had convictions for indecent assault and gross indecency with children. Scientific evidence linked DNA taken from Leslie's underwear directly to Castry. He was convicted and sentenced to life imprisonment with a minimum recommended term of 30 years. It is difficult to conjure appropriate words to describe this horrific story. It started with the brutal and senseless killing of an innocent child running an errand for her mother. It was followed by a totally inadequate investigation and inhumane treatment of an innocent man with a mental age of 12 who was hounded into confessing to a crime he did not commit by a police force keen to convict somebody for this atrocity. Then, like an unstoppable juggernaut, the judicial machinery of the state swung into action and the life of another innocent was gradually destroyed and finally lost. Thank you for listening to Bain's Law. Listen out for future podcasts, where we will continue to discuss issues of interest to the legal community. If there is a professional perspective that you would like to share, get in touch via our website at www.barrybaines.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at baineslaw. Law. We look forward to presenting to you again very soon on Baines Law.